America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to face down a great, uh, maybe irreverent, but very important question. Is this Holy Week or is it Hell Week? Uh, there seems to be so much going on everywhere in the world, a direct threat of Russia potentially using attack low-yield nuclear weapons in Ukraine. The chief of the CIA, the CIA director, William Burns, uh, said yesterday that he thinks that might be likely. There are Russian sources now that are calling on Russia because of uh, the incredibly embarrassing sinking of their flagship and their naval fleet in the Black Sea. I mean, what do they think? This is, this is a, a game? There are thousands of Ukrainians who have been killed, their cities destroyed, and so they're going to fire back at one of the ships oppressing them? That's a crime? We will get to that. There's also been fighting on the Temple Mount in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, these, uh, it's amazing how differently uh, this particular conflict is being portrayed. We will present uh, both sides uh, to, to some extent, but there aren't really two sides here. There was no initiation of violence by Israelis or Israeli authorities. It's kind of a, not a good thing where on the day before Passover, Passover begins tonight, which, of course, is one of the most important Jewish holidays. It is one of our three pilgrimage festivals. And uh, there are people down below the Temple Mount praying at the Western Wall. They're not allowed to pray on the Temple Mount if they're Jewish. Only Muslims are allowed to pray up there, which is an interesting thing. But we will get to that and to the incredibly slanted coverage by some of the media outlets uh, there is also an indication that the United States has changed policy in a good way in terms of providing weapons for Ukraine. And Ukraine's president, of Vladimir Zelensky, has uh, asked the United States to designate Russia on a very exclusive list. What list? No, not of just genocidal nations. President Trump, uh, Biden has already called out Russians for uh, using and committing genocide, but uh, actually for a legal and diplomatic status, which uh, nobody wants to be on that particular list. We will get to that. And uh, in terms of America and American politics, there are all kinds of questions that have arisen here, in including, uh, is it somehow un fair and inappropriate to offer honors classes to high school students, advanced placement classes. Uh, that is a huge issue in San Diego and elsewhere. And speaking of California, the uh, congressman from California, Congressman uh, Anoka, uh, has actually introduced legislation that would bring all of America to a four-day work week. Is that a good idea? We'll be talking to Lanhee Chen who also is trying to bring new life to the Republican Party in California. He's running for statewide office this year and has been a frequent guest on our show. He's a scholar at Hoover Institution. 
So what's the story with the Republican Party? Why can't it have a future, even in a state like California? There is a new book about what's called the Hundred Year War, uh, the Hundred Year War in the conservative movement. And uh, who is winning that war? What has that been about? We'll talk to Matthew Continetti, who has a brand new book called The Right, which is a history about the conservative movement. And then there's a piece by Philip Klein in National Review that says, guess what? The conservative movement as we know it is dead. Dead, finished, buried, no future at all if, if the Supreme Court makes a decision to uphold Roe v. Wade. Is that true? We'll ask Lon He about that, but uh, I want to give you my own response as well. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, Ukraine is the center of the world's attention right now, and let's go there first. The uh, uh, <laughs> President uh, Putin has uh, broadly hinted and on the very carefully controlled state TV, Russian state TV, there, there is a, a, a question uh, about what really happened to the pride of Russia's fleet, this uh, cruiser called the Moskva, which is the way you say Moscow in Russian. Uh, well, it is now being confirmed by everybody, and they'd been hesitant about it. No, it wasn't a fire that broke out and that caused a few problems, and then they had to sink as they were trying to get back to shore, to docking somewhere. Uh, it was a missile, actually two missiles, two Neptune missiles, anti-ship missiles, that the Ukrainians apparently very skillfully aimed at the ship, and they sank the damn thing. And uh, what really happened to the pride of Russia's fleet? This is a report from CNN. Listen. The now sunken flagship of Russia's Black Sea fleet, the Moskva, was always about intimidation and delivering a blunt message from the Kremlin, whether to Ukraine or elsewhere. Confirmation this Black Sea flagship has now been sunk will be a major boost for Ukrainian morale. But it's another big loss in Russia's staggering war. Well, uh, there's a sense from the Ukrainians tonight that this is retribution. One Ukrainian official telling CNN that Putin came to kill our children, our women and our civilians, and this is our gift in return to him. Uh, okay, uh, and again, the world now acknowledging that the Russians were lying, surprise, 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 when they say it was a fire, that there was no hostile fire directed at it. The Ukrainians did it, and this has not pleased some of the government voices in the Kremlin. Uh, this is Russian state TV, where a particular state-authorized, Putin-authorized pundit went completely ballistic. After the um, the warship sinks in the Black Sea, and he is uh, saying that we should bomb Kiev, bomb them, let them have it. And they're talking not, not about ordinary bombs. Listen, it sounded like this. Специальная военная операция. 
Okay, uh, they, um, what they were saying is warship Moscow, Moskva, is an absolute cause for war. Kiev sank Moscow and the Russians are furious. In response to the sinking of the warship Moskva, uh, pundits and hosts uh, demand the bombing of Kiev and the destruction of Ukraine's railways and making it impossible for any world leaders to visit in the future. And, oh, yeah, uh, Biden and the Biden administration have suggested now that Boris Johnson uh, courageously and effectively took a train, a secret train, and snuck into Kiev and walked around in the streets and showed his support for Zelensky, that we will be sending a high-ranking official, apparently not a Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, uh, apparently not Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Please don't send Kamala. It, it's really I mean, not. I does that really a, a vote of confidence or a confidence builder for the heroic and embattled people in Ukraine? So what is it that Zelensky is demanding that Biden do? Beyond the 800 million in new arms, which are terrific because this breaks the distinction between, quote, only defensive arms and offensive arms. There's a recognition that the only way that y Ukraine wins this war is with offense against the Russians who are already trying to occupy their country and actually operating in Ukraine. 1-800-955-1776. We'll be right back. Michael Medved show. Uh, so much happening around the world right now. Some of it actually more encouraging than you might expect. And uh, some of it actually indicating that we may be approaching the end of the world. A headline in the Washington Post just running now, uh, just in time for, well, Good Friday and Easter Sunday and Passover. And yes, the holy month of Ramadan and the sacred holiday of uh, Kim uh, Il-sung's 110th birthday, which is being celebrated in, in devotion and humility and deep spirituality all over North Korea. You bet it's being <laughs> celebrated. North Korea, uh, actually known best known around the world for a government where people are starving, literally, and there is a very difficult time feeding people, giving them enough to eat, and yet they're spending untold billions on trying to develop uh, nuclear weapons that can hit the West Coast or even the East Coast of the United States. Uh, we will get to that story as well. Uh, I, I mentioned that President Zelensky apparently had a direct conversation with President Biden, and he had something new that he was asking for. He's getting now, apparently, most of the weapons that they've wanted, and there's a background to that, but we'll get to that. Uh, the story from The Guardian, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has made a direct request to Joe Biden that the U.S. designates Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, this would be a rare and radical sanction, but Zelensky has been firm in putting pressure on the West to assist in Ukraine's resistance to Russia's invasion. And this is no exception. 
as his country endures atrocities from its northern neighbor. Uh, he asked the U.S. president in a recent phone call, but the uh, question has not previously been reported, that at least according to the Washington Post, citing unnamed sources. They indicated that Biden did not commit to specific actions during the call. Now, right now, there are a few state sponsors of terrorism that we recognize. I mean, prominent among them is the nation of Iran, which, of course, makes it uh, somewhat questionable about to be pursuing so avidly, as this administration is doing, the restoration of the Iran nuclear deal that would free up uh, billions of dollars of Iranian money to be used for more terrorism. Not a good idea. But the uh, notion that what Russia is doing, what the Russia is doing is war crimes. What the Russians are doing is attempted genocide. I think that is something that uh, uh, Zelensky has said and Biden has said. And it's, it's also true. But uh, the, the idea of designating them really as uh, state sponsors of terrorism, I, that I guess you could have arguments about because what they are doing is conducting uh, war and violating norms of war by targeting civilian populations. One of the most outrageous things uh, has been the, the idea that... Um, that they're going to do more targeting of more civilian targets because the Ukrainians hit a direct prime prized military target because that missile cruiser that was the pride of the Russian fleet that is now resting very appropriately down at the bottom of the Black Sea, there's a discussion about how many Russian casualties. There were 500 members of the crew Apparently, most of them got off as the craft was burning after it had been hit, but there are some casualties. You don't get hit by two Neptune missiles with no casualties. And what about the casualties on the ground in Ukraine? And President Biden talking about sending a high-level member of the administration, please not Kamala, but uh, Senator Steve Daines, Republican of Montana, uh, went to Ukraine and to Bucha, he went together with U.S. Representative Victoria Spartz, who is the only Ukrainian-born member of the House of Representatives. She's a Republican from Indiana. You may remember her moving speech about what's happening to her former country. Uh, and Senator Daines, after visiting Bucha, said to, what we saw today was shocking. It was numbing. And he had this to say specifically about Ukraine as a crime scene. This is clip one. Crime scene. Is, do you agree? I completely agree. What we saw today uh, was, was shocking. It was numbing. You know, we're parents of four children. We have three grandchildren. To see these shallow graves and to watch these investigators who are with shovels digging uh, shovelful by shovelful, extracting these bodies, the bodies of women, of small children, civilians across the board. It's, it is, it's mind-numbing. It's terrible. And uh, we were there, in fact, looking as, as they're excavating, uh, these, taking these bodies out. You could see the rubble, like an, like an earthquake. It destroyed these residential uh, neighborhoods. We met with the mayor of Bucha today. He said, Senator, can I show you my home? Mm -hmm. 
So we followed him to his home, completely destroyed by the Russians. Okay, and then there's more about what they saw in Bucha. Listen. What, what do you tell us what you're looking at when we're looking at yeah, this? Yeah, so this, this is the site there in Bucha where they were uh, excavating and, and taking shovel by shovel, by shovel uh, the, the bodies out. You see the black bags that the bodies were in. And then they would open up the, the bags. The stench was, was horrific. And then they would take these bodies back to uh, the tents that you saw there. And they were basically doing autopsies, forensic examinations. There I'm covering my nose. I mean, the stench was terrible, the, the smell of death. Uh, it's a very quiet and somber scene. It's sitting right next to a church, yeah. which just kind of adds to just the whole perspective of what we're seeing there. Yeah, the savagery. It really is. What um. Okay, and uh, this is with Jake Tapper on CNN. And finally, the question about is this real or is this, as Vladimir Putin says, this is just a hoax, it's a fake, it's a fraud, and the Ukrainians are just trying to get sympathy this way. Clip three. Vladimir Putin's out there uh, and his minions throughout the world and, 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 and you know, pro-Putin propaganda saying this is all fake. You were there. <laughs> the, the truth is what was just shown around the world on CNN. Yeah. And that was why it was so important to have American officials come to Ukraine, come to Kyiv. And I, was, I had dinner just minutes ago, Jake, with a, a Ukrainian military leader. And I asked him, I said, what we saw in Bucha today, what's going on like Bucha around Ukraine? Just as you said, Jake, Ukraine is one great big crime scene. Yeah. This is going on in Mariupol as we speak. Yeah, at, at, at probably a much, much bigger scale. It, it is. I mean, when hi the history is written about what's happened here in Ukraine, it's going to be a terrible, terrible story. And let's not... Okay, what can the United States do now to make it a less terrible story? There's actually some encouraging news, not just the sinking of the Moskva, but encouraging news on the um, battlefront, on the military supply front, and on the diplomatic front, very much so. We will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. You're listening to The Mighty. You're the best radio show host in the country. Michael Medved Show. On The Michael Medved Show, they just released a uh, new wide-ranging interview with The Atlantic magazine uh, that was granted by uh, President Zelensky, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. The Ukrainian president in the interview apparently lamented the repetitive nature of his many telephone, Zoom, and Skype calls with world leaders who were often asking him the same questions about the ongoing Russian invasion. I like new questions, Zelensky told The Atlantic. It's not interesting to answer the questions you already heard. When some leaders ask me what weapons I need, I need a moment to calm myself because I already told them the week before. Zelensky continued, he said, it's Groundhog Day. I feel like Bill Murray. Uh, he's talking about his fellow, not a comedian, but comic actor, which is what Zelensky was. Uh, still, even when it seems he's living the same moment over and over and over again, President Zelensky says, I have no choice but to keep trying. The world's leaders are not against us, Zelensky said. No, I think most world leaders are for you. 
He said they just live in a different situation. As long as they have not lost their parents and children, uh, they do not feel the way we feel. And one can understand that. But uh, one of the encouraging aspects of the responses that have come from the West so far is a new report in the Wall Street Journal, which I think is very encouraging. It's uh, reported by uh, Courtney McBride. And they say, the, um, as Ukraine prepares to resist a new Russian military assault in the east, in the Donbass, it likely will be doing so with new weapons and equipment the U.S. once considered too risky to provide to Kyiv, highlighting how the line between offensive and defensive assistance recently has blurred. The uh, shift in weaponry comes as Kyiv makes increasing pleas for military assistance, warning of potential Russian escalation and the potential for mass civilian casualties amid Russia's expected offensive in the Donbass area. It also follows President Biden's allegation that Russia is conducting genocide in Ukraine. Now, remember when people were terribly worried about, well, if uh, you use the term genocide, if you send new weapons to the Ukrainians, the Russians could get angry. The Russians aren't angry now. They're going to do something worse, strike the United States. Highly, highly unlikely, unless you honestly believe that uh, Vladimir Putin is insane and utterly suicidal. The shift in uh, weaponry, as I, I just said, um, comes after Biden's procl proclamation that Russia is engaged in uh, genocide. Mr. Biden this week announced $800 million in additional security assistance for Ukraine, bringing total military aid committed to Ukraine since he took office as more than $3 billion. This new package includes heavier weaponry than the U.S. previously provided and, for the first time, American-made artillery pieces. While U.S. officials have debated whether the government should limit itself to providing Kyiv with weapons designed to defend the country, that distinction appears to have grown fuzzier as Russia moved its forces deeper into Ukraine. Any weapons designed to push Moscow's forces out of the country arguably could be considered defensive now, so long as it doesn't involve hitting targets inside Russia, say U.S. officials and outside experts. William Taylor, who's a vice president for Russia and Europe at the United States Institute of Peace, said given the state of conflict in Ukraine, there's no distinction to be made between offensive and defensive weapons at this point. And uh, there's also this item, and it ought to be taken seriously because we spend uh, over $70 billion a year, much, 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 much more than we spend in arming uh, Ukraine. We spend over $70 billion a year in intelligence. And clearly one of the leaders of that entire intelligence effort is the CIA. And um, the director of the CIA, right now William Burns, has a... Um, 
some news that should get people's attention, particularly people who think we're coming to the end of the world and a climactic, biblically prophesied final struggle. I hope not, but uh, in any event, uh, William Burns delivered uh, some remarks, the CIA director at Georgia Tech University, and he said the uh, use of a tactical or low-yield nuclear weapon is uh, a real concern, and that they believe at the CIA that there could be a real possibility that President Putin would use such a weapon. What uh, the CIA director didn't answer is, what the hell do we do then? Okay, the, the discussion goes on. The um, administration uh, features Mr. Burns. He's the one of the leaders, members of the administration, who's had the most personal dealings in the past with Vladimir Putin. He said the uh, potential detonation of such a weapon, a nuclear weapon, tactical, low-yield, even as a warning shot, was a possibility that the United States remained very, very concerned about. But he quickly cautioned that so far, despite Mr. Putin's frequent invocation of nuclear threats, he had seen no practical evidence of the kinds of military deployments or movement of weapons that would suggest such a move was imminent. Uh, given the potential desperation of President Putin and the Russian leadership, said Burns, given the setbacks that they've uh, faced so far, and this was speaking even before that ship was sunk, uh, militarily, none of us can take lightly the threat posed by a potential resort to tactical nuclear weapons or low-yield nuclear weapons, Mr. Burns said during a question-and-answer session following a speech he delivered at Georgia Tech. Uh, tactical weapons are sometimes called uh, battlefield nukes, smaller weapons that can be shot out of a mortar or even exploded like a mine, as opposed to strategic weapons that are put on intercontinental ballistic missiles. Russia has a large arsenal of tactical weapons. The United States keeps comparatively few. Uh, Low-yield nuclear weapons have been designed to produce a fairly small explosion which uh, sometimes blurs the difference between conventional and nuclear weapons. Uh, but can we make it clear that if they aim a uh, low-yield nuclear weapon into Kiev or into the, uh, the Ukrainian forces in Donbass, it's a whole new world. Uh, I have watched over the years as Putin has stewed in a combustible combination of grievance and ambition and insecurity. Good words. Uh, that's what Mr. Burns said. He said the Russian president has nursed grievances against the West for decades, convinced the United States took advantage of Russia's weakness after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Why did the Soviet Union break up? Was it something that America did? Of course not. There's no military pressure at the time. It was the idea that the Russian people were suffering, the economy was in, in, in free fall, as it is right now. And uh, basically, there were 15 different Soviet socialist republics that had been enslaved. And yes, it's appropriate on the eve of Passover to use the word enslaved, 
that had been enslaved by the terror masters and communist bastards who ran the old Soviet Union. And now they want to talk about using a nuclear weapon. Uh, by the way, this kind of threat is uh, actually exploding in Putin's face. You'll pardon the analogy. I'll tell you how. Coming up moments from now on The Medved Show. human tornado. Michael Medved. <laughs> uh, tornado warning. A corrupt human tornado indeed. Uh, this is uh, sobering news. AP is just reporting the bodies of more than 900 civilians have been discovered in the region surrounding the Ukrainian capital of Kiev following Russia's withdrawal. Most of them fatally shot, police said uh, today. This is an indication that many people were simply executed. The uh, jarring number, uh, 900 civilians killed, emerged shortly after Russia's defense ministry promised to step up missile attacks on Kyiv in response to Ukraine's alleged aggression on Russian territory. Okay, <laughs> wait, please stop. Where is the Ukrainian aggression on Russian territory? It's true. They had a bombing mission to um, hit a supply depot that was very successful. This is a few miles across the border into Russia, into Bolgograd, which is one of the Russian cities closest to the Ukrainian border. And they were hitting a uh, fuel dump, a, uh, with, with, and so it made a pretty good boom because they sent in two helicopters, low-flying. The helicopters got out okay. And they blew up some of the fuel that was being used to uh, transport uh, Russian troops into Ukraine so they could commit more depredations and murders and war crimes. And... The idea that uh, they are going to step up missile attacks on Kyiv in response to Ukraine's aggression on Russian territory, they're talking about the, the ship, the Moskva, that was sunk, that that ship was Russian territory. It's not. It's in the Black Sea, for goodness sake. And the Black Sea does not belong to Russia. The um, U.S. defense officials said uh, this afternoon that Kyiv... Uh, was uh, actually was responsible for hitting Moscow's flagship in the Black Sea. Now, this is not like Pearl Harbor, right? I mean, the war has been going on. It's been going on since February 24th. I, I mean, we're almost two months in. And the idea that the, this was some kind of outrage? Okay, this whole thinking has led to, again... Uh, more blowback against Russia. And this is very, very significant. And in fact, it's, it's amazing. Uh, Russia warned that it would station nuclear forces in and around a Russian enclave in northern Europe and bolster its military presence there if Finland and Sweden go ahead with their plans to join the NATO alliance. 
Finland and Sweden are both considering joining the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and will make a decision in coming weeks. Both countries have a long tradition of military neutrality, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine has tilted public opinion and the political consensus in both countries towards seeking membership in the U.S.-led alliance. Look, this is amazing and it's wonderful. Also, Sweden has been terrific, bless them for this, in sending some weapons to Ukraine that they make in Sweden. As, as Sweden produces stuff. And they're sharing some of it with uh, the decent people in Ukraine who are trying to defend their country. Uh, Dmitry Medvedev, uh, who is a former president of Russia, briefly, while Vladimir Putin pulled all his strings as prime minister, uh, Mr. Medvedev said that Russia would need to enhance its ground forces and air defenses in the Baltic region and display significant naval forces in the waters of the Baltic Sea. Why would they need to do that? Do they really believe that there will be an attack on them from Finland or from uh, from Sweden? Now, it's true. Sweden was Russia's arch enemy in the <laughs> late years of the uh, 17th century and the early years of the 18th century. Battle of Poltava, which was a... Uh, when the Russians, Peter the Great, turned back a, a, a Swedish invasion of uh, Russia and of Ukraine, by the way. Uh, the Battle of Poltava was 1709. It's a long time ago. The, the idea that any sane human being who draws breath or has a ticking heart or a functioning brain believes that Finland and Sweden are a dire military threat to Russia, these two genuinely peace-loving nations. I mean, how ridiculous that is. Um, Mr. Mimzyedov's comments were echoed by the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, who said that uh, Russian President Putin had instructed the defense ministry to submit proposals for strengthening Russia's western flank against the backdrop of building up the potential of NATO near our western borders. Okay, this is deeply paranoid, and it goes beyond the absurdity. The, the excuse for the war, the excuse for the invasion, remember, was the claim that uh, Ukraine was about to join NATO, and that would be a threat to Russian security. How is it a threat to Russian security? No, seriously. I, it, the chances and the basis for a NATO sneak attack on Russia, when has that ever happened or anything like that? Uh, in fact, while well, you could say, well, the, the Nazis uh, were not supposed to invade Russia in June of 1941, but they did. Okay, yeah, NATO isn't the Nazis. Right. The German government today is not the former German government of the Third Reich. Now, absurd this stuff is. And the idea that they wanted to denazify Ukraine with its uh, heroic pro-Western and Jewish president. I wonder if uh, Zelensky is going to be observing or taking any time to observe any Passover tonight. He may. Uh, Finland could apply to join NATO within weeks, Prime Minister Sanna Marin said. 
Uh, she said that yesterday after a government report concluded that joining the alliance would boost security in the region. Of course it would. Until becoming a sovereign country in 1917, also a long time ago, more than 100 years, Finland was part of the Russian Empire for over a century. The country which fought off a Soviet invasion during World War II and did so brilliantly and heroically. Uh, you may remember the ski soldiers that the Finns deployed got a lot of international publicity and acclaim. Uh, this has uh, been neutral since World War II and since fighting with the, the Russians, and it has long uh, refused to join NATO. Since Russia invaded Ukraine, however, polls have shown that support for membership in NATO has surged to well over 60% from below 20%. Most political parties in Helsinki now also agree Finland should become a member. By the way, I emphatically agree with that. Of course, uh, Finland, which shares a border of more than 800 miles with Russia, would become NATO's most exposed eastern flank if the country becomes a member. Sweden, which has been militarily neutral since the Napoleonic Wars over 200 years ago, is considering the same move. Look, w what this indicates is that there are some countries in the world that are willing to acknowledge the difference between good and evil. And uh, that brings us to the, quote, religious clash. It isn't a religious clash. It's a clash between law and order and public safety and thugs. That's what is going on in Jerusalem right now. It has nothing to do with religion except for the fact that there are some people who use the Islamic faith as an excuse for their thuggery. What caused this entire clash? Israel had changed policies, allowing 60,000 Muslims to come from all over the world to uh, pray in the holy month of Ramadan at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They met Israeli authorities with authorities of the Waqf, who uh, controlled the, uh, the Temple Mount, the, to control what is, they call these holy sanctuary. But... Uh, this idea that uh, there was some kind of conflict because Israel sent police into Al-Aqsa Mosque, here's what happened very briefly. is Before the midday prayers began, a group of teenage thugs started throwing rocks down on people, and that can kill them, uh, down at people who are praying at the Western Wall. And because tonight is Passover, and this is an occasion people went there, so what happened next? We will get to all of that. We'll also get to the key question about the future of the Republican Party. Does that future really depend upon a uh, Supreme Court decision, or does it go far deeper than that? We'll get to all of that in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.